Awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you guide us and you love us and you care for us. And as we look into this buzzword this week, God, of victory, we ask that, that you'd reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways and that we would understand where victory, our victory, truly comes from. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So kids, you got a sheet as you came in and there's some spots in there that you've got to fill things in. This is your moment. All the things that you need, this is like your cheat sheet, is coming up in this message. So listen closely, and I've got some stories to tell. Awesome. So yeah, last week we looked at discipleship, and we looked at Matthew chapter 14 of Jesus and Peter walking on water, and we, we defined discipleship as being a mirror image of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about victory, and victory again is one of those words that we tend to throw out quite a lot. And I think it's important that we as a society, particularly in 2022, uh, we define what victory actually means. Because we've got a culture all around us that wants to redefine these biblical terms uh, for us. So we're going to look at uh, one of the people who's experienced a lot of victory in their life, one of the most fantastic leaders in the Bible, and his name is Joshua. And Joshua was a great leader, but one thing I look at, when I look at the story of Joshua, particularly right at the start of his leadership, I have to wonder how much of his leadership was he sitting there going, you know what, I have big shoes to fill. The person that came before me, that was Moses. Look, Moses did amazing things for the kingdom. He did so many amazing things for God. He was faithful. God spoke to him. He did it like, you know, took us out of Egypt. Like, it was fantastic. And I've got to fill that guy's shoes. This is going to be a tough journey. And towards the start of his leadership, we see the, the challenges start to pile up. And the first challenge we see for Joshua is in Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 to 16. And Joshua is taking the Israelites through to the promised land. And, and what happens is he faces a challenge. And the challenge is the River Jordan. And the River Jordan is massive and it's the wet season. It's overflowing. There is no way that they can all get past the River Jordan. So Joshua has to now go, okay, I'm the leader. I'm the one that has to make the decision. I've got to make the call. Man, how am I going to get all these people from this side to that side without killing them all? So Joshua then goes, you know what? I think I've got a system that might work. I'm going to go and ask God what I should do. So he does, and this is what God says to him. The Lord told Joshua... Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come, listen what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that... The, uh, the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the uh, Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of... I did well, right? <laughs> Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole of the earth. He will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. 
So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water of the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away from a town called Adam, which is near that place. I can't even see it. My eyesight's horrible. Uh, And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea uh, until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. You see, the system that Joshua had in place when he said, you know what, there is something that I need to do as a leader. There is a decision that I need to make. There is a victory that needs to happen here, and I am not equipped on my own to be able to deal with it, and I have no idea how I'm going to approach this situation, so I've got this system that I reckon is going to be foolproof. It's going to be a pretty good system, and it turned out to work really well for Joshua, and it's not rocket science. It's actually pretty easy. It is. Step one, go to God. Step two, get the plan. Step three, do the plan. Nice and easy, right? Go to God, get the plan, do the plan. Nice and easy. And that's exactly what happened. He went to God. He said, God, what do I need to do? God said, hey, get the men with the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to go in first. It'll all dry up. You'll be able to cross. No worries. And that's what Joshua did. And they experienced victory. But as soon as they (laughs) crossed the Jordan, they were faced with Jericho. Now, Jericho was a fortified city. It was up on a hill. It had huge walls. It was designed to keep people out or keep people in. And the Israelites were coming, and Jericho knew the Israelites were coming. So they, but they closed up all the doors. They closed up everything, and they say, no one is getting in, and no one is getting out. There is no way that Joshua and the Israelites can take this city. It cannot be taken if everything's shut. And Joshua, as a leader, again, is going, another impossible task. What am I going to do? Okay, okay, what am I going to do? Hang on, I've got this system. This system worked for me last time. Maybe I should do it again. And he goes to God, and God says this. And I'm going to actually bring it up here. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all the strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you'll march around the town seven times with the priests blowing horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls uh, of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. Now, we know this story. It's a very famous story. But how awesome is it that, that Joshua, again, goes to God and says, okay, I'm going to go get the plan. I'm going to go to God, get the plan, and do the plan. And this is a crazy plan, by the way. Like, to just walk around a city for six days, and on the seventh day, walk around a little bit more, and then shout at the walls, and they'll all come come tumbling down. But that's what God tells them. That's the plan. But then God actually has a caveat on this plan. He actually gives a bit of extra information, says, now when you go and take Jericho, there's something extra I need you to know. And that is this, (laughs) 
Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and her others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. So she's someone who helped the Israelites. And then in verse 18, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will be, uh, bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, or bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So once again, Joshua uses this system, go to God, get the plan, do the plan. And what happens when they do the plan? Victory is the outcome. We know the story of Jericho. They do exactly what God told them to do. The walls come crumbling down and they go in and they take Jericho. Awesome. Man, Joshua's got a good track record so far. He's starting to fill these shoes, these massive shoes that came before him. He's doing pretty well. And then Joshua and his men from Jericho try to figure out, okay, what's the next step? Where are we going from here? And they look over and they see this little town called Ai, A-I. And Joshua sends out his, uh, his spies and they come back and they say, hey, this town is tiny compared to Jericho. You don't even need to send your whole army, maybe 3,000 people. Just send a couple of your warriors. Don't, don't send heat. Don't send everyone. Don't, like, everyone else can just relax. Just send a few. It's a tiny town. So that's what Joshua does. But in verse uh, 1 of chapter 7, it starts out really interesting. Before we look at I, it starts out by saying this. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah. Achan, what are you doing? Go to God, get the plan, do the plan. It's working for you. It's working for the people. And all of a sudden, you go, hey, look, when you go take this city, it's all good, it's all fine, but these things don't take them. But Achan, then we read about this further in chapter 7, he takes the things that are set apart for the Lord and he goes back to his tent and he digs a hole and he buries all these things in the tent to keep it hidden. I don't know about you, but when I read this part of the story, I'm like, Achan, what are you thinking? Man, he is the troublemaker of the Israelites at this point. Kids in, the, in this room right now, do you have someone in your family who's just the troublemaker? Yeah? You know who the troublemaker? Ellie, who's the troublemaker? Judah. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> He's the one that's not here to defend himself. <laughs> but everyone has that. You, you, know, you look at that person and every time there's a fight, every time something gets broken, every time there's an argument, every time, you know, there's always that one person you're like... I, it's that, that one's going to be involved. And I remember when I was younger, someone said, there's always one of the children in the family that's the troublemaker. And I looked and I'm like, there's no one in my family that's a troublemaker. Then I realized it was me. <laughs> I'm that guy. Right? This is Aiken. He ruins it for everybody. And we see that when after this, they go to take Ai, and this is what it says, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, uh, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. 
When they returned, they told Joshua, there is no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai, since there are only a few of them. Don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. Not just defeated, soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Now say it with me. Who is responsible for the the defeat at Ai? One, two, three. (laughs) No. It's Joshua. Joshua is responsible for the defeat at Ai. Yes, Achan took those things. And yes, the anger of God was on the Israelites. And yes, God removed his blessing from their path because of what Achan had done. But that is a separate issue to what is actually going on here for the Israelites. You see, the Israelites have a leader who now forsake the plan. Go to God, get the plan, do the plan. It worked for the Jordan, it worked for Jericho, but all of a sudden, Joshua forgets God in the victory, and when they're faced with I, Joshua does not go to God, Joshua makes the call on his own. He forgets God in the victory. Because if Joshua had said, okay, the battle of I, okay, I is down there, we're going to have to go and fight them, I know it, look, yes, I know we don't need that many men, but I still need to go talk to God. If he'd done that, then God would have said, hey, there is someone among you who actually disobeyed my rules and you can't go to I because I've removed my blessing until this gets sorted out. See, Joshua failed in that part of his leadership. If he had done that, things would have turned out very different. Now, the story continues, and you can read it for yourself in Joshua chapter 7 for the sake of time. Uh, is that Joshua then, uh, on, with the help of God, identifies who took these things and Achan is soundly punished. And then they go back and they take I very, very easily. And I look at this story and I'm like, Joshua, what is wrong with you? You had a system that was working and you gave it up. Like, that is just bad leadership. Not even that, that's just bad being a human being, something that was working and all of a sudden you just change the plan. But I... When I think of that, God usually brings back things to my mind about how I've done the exact same thing. You know, I was talking to Hannah in the cafe this week, and her and her husband, Brett, just came back from family camp. And um, I helped run family camp uh, back in 2013. And family camp back in 2013, it hadn't existed at CYC for like 15 years. And I'm like, you know what, this is going to be awesome. But the first thing I need to do, and we decided as a leadership team, we needed to saturate the whole camp in prayer and only go where God tells us to go. So we prayed all the time. Okay, we're going to invite families. How are we going to do that? Let's ask God. We've got to have a program that, 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 that brings families together. How are we going to do that? Well, let's ask God. Who are our speakers going to be? Hey, let's ask God. Every single time we had a question, we went to God, we got the plan, and we did the plan. And the family camp was a huge success. We expected three or four families, and we ended up getting 15 families that first year. And it was awesome. And people around are going, Ads, you did such a great job. Such a great job leading that family camp. 
And then by the time year two came around, they said, well, ads, we're obviously going to have you leading this thing again. And but by then, I thought to myself, you know what? I know the formula. I know what works. I know what programs to put in place. I know what kind of speakers I want. I know uh, how we're going to be advertising. I know what rooms we're going to be opening up. I know all these different things, and we're just going to do it. And we grabbed the leadership team, which was an awesome leadership team, and we ran family camp number two in 2014, and it was horrible. Things didn't work. Plans kept falling through. The speakers weren't what we asked for. The program just wasn't really welcomed by people. We had lots of people there, but afterwards when we had some feedback forms, most of the parents and the families were saying, like, it was good, but last year was so much better. And after camp, I'm like, what went wrong? And I didn't go to God. Not because of arrogance, not because I'm like, God, I don't need you anymore, but because, God, the training wheels are off. You helped me get this far. I think I've got it from here. And it failed because I forgot God in the victory. You see, I thought that the victory was a successful program and that people would turn up. You know, the reality is we all have different ideas of what victory looks like in our own lives. In the ministries we're involved in, in our families, in our finances, in our ATAR scores or our schooling, in our kids' ATAR score and their schooling. We all have ideas, okay, this is what victory is going to look like. If I can accomplish these things, if these things can happen, then we've had a win. But if we really honestly take a look at ourselves, sometimes the things that we determine is a win is based on what we decide and what we define as a victory. And here's this crazy thought, and you might think I'm absolutely weird for saying it, but here it is. Sometimes our idea of a victory is different to God's idea of a victory. Sometimes our idea of victory is different to God's idea of a victory. You know, we work hard for things, and it's not based in arrogance, but we work hard on based on the, the information that we have, like Joshua had, on the perceptions of the, the resources that we have, like Joshua did. And we make plans, and they look like awesome plans, and we put them together. And then when they're nearly ready to go, we say, okay, cool, it's nearly ready, it's ready to go. Okay, God, come and bless it. And when he doesn't, we go, what's going on? God, come and bless it. Like, it's here. It's ready. I've prepared it all. It's ready to go. Come and bless it. But what if victory looked less like, okay, God, I've done this thing. Come and bless it. And more like, God, what are you doing? And can I please be a part of it? You see, if we're going to redefine some of these words like discipleship last week, I think victory is probably this. Victory is not the outcome. Victory is not the fruit. Victory is not the things that spread away from the work that you've done. Victory is merely being where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. That is a victory. And when we're obedient to God, when we seek Him first and we go to God, we get the plan and we do the plan, Fruit is the byproduct. Fruit's not bad. All the things that succeed in the ministry programs that go well and the people who come to Jesus, like they're all awesome. They're part of God's plan. But the victory for you and I is first and foremost, God, I just want to be where you want me to be. That's a victory. 
And we have to be careful when we have that victory not to then go, look how good I did. Look how good I did. Because that's the, that's the challenge. That's what Joshua faced. That's what I faced. Not because we think, man, I am the best, but man, I actually did a pretty good job. I'm able. I'm qualified. I can, I can do what God wants me to do, even though I might not go talk to God. When the fruit comes from that relationship with God, the victory belongs in one place. And that's with God. You see, the victory, and this is key for us to remember, was never ours. The victory was never ours. You see, one more story, and I'll finish up, is uh, <laughs> we're on this family camp. By the way, family camp one, awesome. Family camp two, bit of a failure. Family camp three, we weren't going to make the same mistake. We saturated it in prayer. We went to God. We got the plan. We did the plan. And I remember one night we're sitting around the table and we're having ice cream at a dessert. And I was, I was sitting with a few other leaders, about three other leaders, and there was a girl, a mum, and a dad. And we're sitting eating ice cream, and the girl stops eating her ice cream. Miracle right there. And she looks up at her dad, and she goes, Dad, can we do this when we get home? Can we never stop doing this? And I thought to myself, she likes ice cream. And her dad thought the same thing. He goes, oh, we can have ice cream at home. That's no issue. Like, we can do that. We can get sprinkles. And she goes, no, no, Dad, I don't mean ice cream. Can we talk around the dinner table at home? Because one of those families where you sit on your screens or you don't even sit together, you sit in a different room. And she was saying, hey, this connection, can we keep doing this? I love this. I value this. And I know that's God's plan for families to be fully connected. And when that happened, I remember looking at the leader to my left, that way, and the leader to my right, and we just smiled at each other. And as soon as dinner was over, we packed up all the dishes, we went upstairs, and upstairs there was this, uh, this room, which is where it was like the leader space, the hangout space, and we went up there, and we just thanked God. We prayed, we cried together, we laughed, we were just like sitting in what God was doing amongst this camp. And one of the uh, banners that we had on the wall was our verse. We had a verse for, for our family camps, which was this. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You see, when God gives you a plan, yeah, there's going to be work involved. For that camp particularly, we had to make sure the camp program was ready. We had to advertise. We had to make sure finances were sorted out. We had to make sure that families knew what was going on and communication was high. There was lots and lots and lots of work that went into making sure this camp happened. But if all that work comes to this girl having a realisation that our family is not connected at home, communicating it to her family, and all of a sudden their family looks a little bit more what God wants a family to look like, what a victory that is. But instead of going upstairs and saying, look what all of our hard work has done, we went upstairs and said, God, look at what you've done. The victory is yours and yours alone. So if you want to see that fruit in your life, you want to see God moving in powerful and exciting ways, follow the same system that Joshua did. Go to God, get the plan, do the plan. And when the fruit starts to shine, when the fruit starts to bloom, Look back to God and say, God, look at what you've done. You truly are an awesome God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the encouragement that it is. 
and that we can look at other people's examples and we can learn and, and, and we, can, we can hear your voice and your plan for us. God, as we seek those victories in our own lives, let us follow that same pattern that Joshua did of, of going to you, listening to your voice, getting the plan for our lives and doing what you have instructed us to do. All desire to do our own thing, all desire to be the hero, all desire to be the face. God, we just bind it in your name. We ask that you would be the hero, that your name would be proclaimed, that in every win, that you would be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.